Welcome to the Cine Meh Podcast, a place to discuss and deconstruct perfectly average movies. Not good movies, not bad movies, just fine movies. So fine, in fact, you probably forgot they even exist. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. And while we may not be nearly as forgettable as these films, we probably run a close second. That's right. Adequate films for adequate folk. Josh, what do you got for me today? Yeah, uh, kick us off, Josh. Um, what uh, what do we got this week? What's uh, what's our what's our what's our topic? Welcome, welcome. We are yeah. uh, dipping our toe into the world of urban fantasy a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah, um, this is actually a genre I'm a big fan of. In in different novels, one of my favorite book series, The Dresden Files, is about. Um, a wizard and the the supernatural world in uh, contemporary Chicago. Yeah, which is a, it's interesting you bring that up because I had similar like Dresden file vibes that I want to come back to much, much later um, in a, a very particular point in the podcast. But uh, yeah, I, um, I agree. It, it shares some of the, the vibe with it. We are visiting what I call the Mark Sinclair universe, cinematic universe. Uh, this is 2015's The Last Witch Hunter, starring Rose Leslie, Elijah Wood, Michael Caine, Vin Diesel, and Kurt Angle. Who does Kurt Angle play? Because I looked it up in the the, the trivia. Is apparently Kurt Angle is in this movie, and I was like, who was he? He's one of the fashion witch's bodyguards. Oh. <laughs> but... In continuing with our theme of like connective tissue across our other <laughs> episodes, yeah. uh, let's just get it out of the way. Directed by Breck Eisner, he also directed Sahara. Uh, interesting. Oh, wow, yeah. those are these are like tonally two very different movies. Yes. Um, <laughs> my uh, Breck Eisner, by the way, that is Michael Eisner's son. Of course, uh, nepo nep- nepotism in Hollywood. Just nepo all over the place. Okay, and, and not in like the best way. It's like. Yeah, I but his career is fine. I'm sure he's not <laughs> he's not bothered. <laughs> he's probably not, no. But yeah, Breck Eisner directed this. Uh Vin Diesel he's a guilty pleasure, I'll admit. I okay. enjoy watching Vin Diesel movies not because I think he is the most talented actor cuz he's not. He he plays one guy. <laughs> yeah, in various states of angst and masculinity sure. but he is he's one rope so i i do have to comment on the um the the cast of this film because it's it, it's unbelievably eclectic um there is again since the theme of this <laughs> this uh season is connective tissue there is some connective tissue in that like you know a lot of these actors have appeared in traditional fantasy like game of thrones and lord of the rings and all that uh but then you also have like classically trained uh michael kane who you know usually knocks it out of the park with with whatever he's doing i have to wonder what led him to this movie this is this is one that i'm i'm very i'm curious why he did this film and uh, michael kane is famous for having said when he's offered a movie he goes i'll sit down in my chair I read the first page of the script, and I read the last page of the script. And if my character is on both pages, I'll do the fucking movie. 
And so I, <laughs> it makes me wonder if this was that kind of a film where he was just like, well, I'm in the whole thing, so I might as well play the role. Well, te- you know, that's technically true because it is his narration doing the exposition. Right. Exactly. Uh, after the prologue scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he is there at the end, which yes. I think was a nice surprise because the plot, the plot, the main plot, I guess. Yeah. Is that it's a kind of like a, a film noir whodunit. I, I was that, that was the word I was thinking of when I woke up this morning. It, like the more I thought about it, I was like, this this movie is kind of a whodunit. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how it's set up is right. a, you know, Sam Spade type of uh, investigation. Sure. Into, and you meet a lot of shady type of characters mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, because you're uh, so look at the parallels here. The axe and the cross. They're your, your like law and order. Right. Of exactly. This, yeah. Uh, supernatural realm. Uh, Calder is not part of the axe and cross, but he work. He kind of works for them. But I thought he's, he, I thought he like left at the end after all was oh, said yeah, and done. At, yeah, after every, the events of the movie, he's yeah. going his own way. Right. But so, but but up until then, he didn't officially work for them. He's he's kind of like uh, you know, as the movie explores, he's kind of their weapon, right? In a sense. But you also see he's kind of got his own independent code. Yeah, and that's what really comes into play because he goes and. Uh, messes with the criminal underworld, so to speak, uh, <laughs> as he's kind of going on his own here to try to figure out what happened to his friend. His mentor, yeah. Michael Kine. Michael Kine. Um Vin Diesel, as a as an actor, I, I agree, very, very one note. Um, like I, 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 and I feel like we we have that that feedback for a number of actors we've discussed this uh, this season. Um, and it, it makes me wonder now, like, is the art of acting less about acting anymore and more is it just about do you have the kind of like charismatic personality that people want to put on screen? That's probably a conversation for another day. But Well, that's the difference between like are you doing film to make money or are you doing film for for the, the art? art? That's that's yeah. a, a great point. Um, very well explored in the movie Birdman, which uh, is actually a good movie, so we'll never talk about it, which is unfortunate, but great no. movie. Birdman's awesome. Birdman's uh, awesome. So um, let's go back to the Last Witch Hunter. Yeah. The, so, the oh, opening of that film, the you know, in the mm-hmm. the medieval age where Vin Diesel is one of a bunch of yeah, they look like Vikings, but they, they maybe they're not. Look very Vikingish, yeah. And the this movie is supposed to take place in twelve hundred, which is after the Viking Age. Um, yeah. But it's you know that's fine and well and his wife's name was helena his daughter's name was elizabeth that's very anglican i think it's, so yeah yeah very much it's, it's fine um the the black plague is, is going, going around which is not the bubonic plague Again, <laughs> ti- the timeline doesn't quite it doesn't align yeah yeah uh so this is yeah. different um we're not saying witches caused the black plague although i'm pretty sure the the catholic church did say <laughs> oh, I'm fairly certain. That the devil was was responsible. In some way involved, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a little historical fact for you. The church waged war on cats because it, cats were familiars of witches and therefore the devil. So there was a big push to eradicate cats in Europe. And what do cats hunt, Ryan? Well, they tend to hunt mice and rats, which uh, I believe were the primary spreaders of the fucking bubonic plague. <laughs> God, it's, I love... It, I love humanity. 
I know we're we're excellent at these things. All right, so back to the last witch hunter. Uh, I also really like Vin Diesel in uh, bearded, yeah, and I, with hair. I thought it was a good look for him actually. I, he, I, he doesn't do that very much. No, um, but he he pulled that look off. He actually like vanishes into that look, and I thought it was uh, I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, because uh, it it was it was it was powerful. Um, he fit the the time age really well. Like he's already got kind of a burly build, and so you know he has a good like he has a good like physique to be suggestive of like medieval warrior and and all that. So um, it was uh, with the hair and the beard. I was like, this is uh, this is interesting. This is a cool look for him. Yeah, very cool beginning. Uh, I liked. I kind of like the way witchcraft was done in okay. this movie. Uh, really exploring the. Um, the the natural elements mm, yeah. that witchcraft is said to involve, and uh, just some of the the macabre yet beautiful artistry in the crafting of their um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But basically, the, the crafting of their uh, utensils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, like the when they first come in, and there's the uh, like the stick man almost mm-hmm. uh, that they confuse with the, the witch queen. Uh, and, and it's no, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, like the idols almost like it's, yeah. it's like they're little idols that they, the, uh, there's a terminology for this and I'm blanking on it right now. Okay. Um, there are too many plots at play. Yeah. In this movie. It, it, this is a, it, it's a, it's a strangely confusing movie. Um, and it's, it is long, but I feel like it, does not it doesn't use its time well because it never fully I feel like it just never fully develops each of the kind of plot threads that it wants to be developing because there there's a lot at work here and uh, some of I have the same problem with this movie that I do with Constantine which is it sets up on a very very much a smaller scale like this one person trying to go out and and solve some mystery and then it reveals an existential threat late in the second or early in the third act and now that's supposed to be the overarching story but it doesn't it doesn't build to that particularly well and so you know this movie largely at the beginning concerns itself with the death of uh of Dolan the 36th um Michael Caine's character and as you know we go through this investigation it very late comes out that the witch queen is returning and it's like, whoa, where, where were we leading up to that? I think it should have been left at just the discovery that the heart still exists. And that's why he was murdered. Yes. Or, um, cursed as we find out, which that was something I always liked because I remember the first time I watched this, you see Michael Caine, they have like heart to heart, Mm-hmm. Um, and this was when I was like holding out. I was like, oh, Vin Diesel's going to have a little range in right. this movie uh, because he demonstrates it the most in the first part of the movie here with Michael Caine. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you share screen time with Michael Caine, he just brings out the best in you. And, and, and I was going to say, um, you, you commented on how like Vin Diesel's a little bit one note and something that I, I was thinking about as I watched this movie is that Vin Diesel actually does quite well when he has good writing. Um, you know, like I, I thought the at the very beginning um, where we he's on the plane and uh, we get the, um, the the storm going on and he's like trying to 
fix. It's a cool scene. It is. And and just like the way he's, you know, he's very calm and nonchalant with it. Like he seems very in control. When he looks up at the kid who's like looking back at him and he just like throws that quick wink. Like, don't worry, buddy. I got this. I was like, the guy is very charming on screen. Like when he has good writing, when he has good lines to deliver, I think he's actually he's quite capable but I think this script takes itself a little too seriously, and some of the dialogue does not fit the the contemporary setting in kind of weird ways. And so a lot of what comes out of Vin Diesel's mouth, except in a couple of very you know particular scenes, it just sounds like clunky and awkward. Um, the heart to heart conversation is uh, not it's it's not quite as egregious, right? It's it's not quite as um, painful. Uh, so that was, I, I agree that I think the, the beginning of this movie sets up a Vin Diesel that we don't necessarily get to see for the rest of the film. No, because then he just goes into casual badassdom. Right. Uh, I forgot to count how many times he says by iron and fire. Too many. I, I think it happens at least five times. Yeah, we got it. The, we got it by the second. <laughs> but I mean, that's what happens when you're an immortal from the dark ages right you have you have a very limited vocabulary <laughs> what's very interesting is that he does not he's not trying to kill witches right after all this time which is fascinating considering his origin yeah is they now even even the church itself they're now just incarcerating yeah um which uh the construct the sentinel I think is that what what they called yeah. it? I thought that thing was super cool. That I was I was on board with the Sentinel. I was like, this guy, this is this is pretty awesome, right? Like he, it's it, it's like a bone and wood golem in such a like a weird, almost hints at steampunk because it has that like, you know, glowing core. I don't know. I thought it was uh, that that was one of my favorite parts of the movie was the Sentinel. Um, the we're imprisoning all the witches in one place, which then leads to. Again, the, 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 finale. Ex- the existential threat where it turns out, oh, we have all these witches all together. And, and if you release them, they're uh, a little Arkham Asylum for me. I was sure. like, I, I feel like this has very much been done. Um, and I feel like a uh, a governing conference like the Axe and the Sword, if we can call them that, after 800 years would have been like, you know what? It might make sense to decentralize this a bit because, uh, my God, if anything were to happen to our one single prison, we are straight fucked. But there's arrogance at play and um, laxitude, I guess. Uh, they just, they've gotten comfortable this where is the they mistake, are. This is the mistake the Ghostbusters made. It's the mistake everyone makes in yeah. every existential crisis movie ever. Yeah, you get comfortable and lazy, and you put all your bad things into just one spot. Yeah, poor planning, poor planning. Um, it's interesting we don't get a, a massive prison break because, like, all the witches are still in prison except for you know the weak link that he punched out of the prison. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I found the the no, no 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 it's all right the the, the climax battle. I, for whatever reason, I found ter- terribly confusing. I was like, I suddenly don't understand at all what's what's happening. <laughs> like, the Sentinel turns on him, and like, are the witches escaping, or are they not? Is it a one-on-one battle with the Witch Queen? Is she summoning the whole coven forth? Like, I was like, uh, what's, what, what, what are we, what are you, what are we doing here? 
All right, so I know we're kind of all over the place yeah, yeah, let's, on the storyline, which is fine. I, I, I don't want to do that thing where we dig into, like, take people through the plot yeah. too extensively. Uh, here's, but here's where I get kind of off board on this movie. Okay. So I'm like, we should have stayed with the whodunit. The first part of this movie where, oh, he died, he went peacefully. Oh, no, he didn't. There's, uh, it was a witch murder. And we get introduced to kind of this this uh, witch underworld. We we explore the witch underworld a little bit. You know, we go into that uh, bakery. Yeah. Meet the 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 butterfly man. <laughs> yes. Awesome. It's freaking beautiful. Butterfly effect. I love it. Oh yeah. Uh, and 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 these little like side businesses that could be any business, like the potion shop, which is it kind of looks like like a you know a very swanky hipster bar. Yeah. Um, the this cupcake business, all of that hints at a really interesting camouflaged world. That yes, witches are. It's it, I, a note that I took about this was like, okay, so we're playing by Harry Potter rules here, where you are born with the ability to do magic, and you can develop it uh, throughout your life, um, but you either have it or you don't. And the witches and the wizards or whatever, they exist below the surface of society as we know it. Um, and I, and it, it, was a, it was a cool concept, the way that it was executed. It was done in a, in a grittier, um, in my opinion, more realistic way. Uh, you know, like they, they, have to, they have to run fronts, essentially, for them to practice their magic. Yeah, they're more integrated than right. the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Um, and it's just you don't see it. Unless you're particularly observant. Exactly. But it is a really cool approach to, like you were saying, the um, like the whodunit metaphor, the, the film noir, where, you know, in film noir, we're presented with the world that everybody sees, right? The glitz and the glam of New York City. But there are some people who know about the underworld and they yes. they can go into the dark alleys and the creepy places and they know which chains to rattle and, and which legs to tug on to get, you know, to get to the root of like the really dark stuff. This is a fascinating take on it. And I don't know that I w- I'm going to say it's particularly well executed, but that might just be a flaw in the in the film itself because the idea is really fascinating to me. Well, I think they introduce too much yes. for so little payoff because you're like, okay, you've got the, the, the guy in the bakery. Yep. Uh, you get the bar uh, and then you get the fashion show. The fashion show, I was like, this, there's no point yeah, to the, this the scene. Fashion show is way over the top. Uh, but it's fun because in film noir, you always have this uh, charming yet contentious relationship between your detective and your femme fatale. Yeah. And I think she is supposed to be the femme fatale of of this story, not the Which, witch queen. No, no, no. Yeah, I I, I know the um, I forget what her name was that, that runs the fashion show, but she's only yeah. there for like 10 minutes. Yeah, she's there long <laughs> enough just to have another it, it, plot-wise. It's so that you can find out that uh, Chloe is a dreamwalker, right? Which okay, fine. Is it, it, the I think part of what what I struggled with with this this film is it has so much lore, but again, it's not able to really develop any of those lore threads. So, you, you know, Chloe being a dreamwalker 
is basically a way of showing, hey, different witches have different powers, right? Like some witches are really good at doing this and some witches are really good at doing this or, or have this special ability, you know, this specialization. But it's like it's never explored to a point that we understand what the uh, like what the weight, what the gravitas of her being a dream walker is like, what the hell does that actually mean other than she can climb into people's heads? Well, you get to see it there towards the finale you get to yeah. see kind of what that is and when she decides to facilitate calder's request to unlock his memory matrix rules yes if you die 100%. in the matrix you die 100 <laughs> percent. well again it's 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 screwing with your head so i mean mm-hmm. the the logic is sound but the fashion show scene is kind of yeah. cool because they, they dig into that um that mythos about which is altering their appearance sure this veneer of charm and beauty that Mm -hmm. they present that hides an ugliness underneath which is not necessarily fair because not all witches are old gross crones (laughs) but some of them are and i still think stardust does it best but that's that's oh yes 100 yeah another just great movie yeah uh but the the effects are a little like when she ages ages out yeah um it's it it, it is it, it's right on the cusp of being like grotesque because she kind of like takes skin off of her face to reveal you know the the glamour to go away but then it's also I, what i would have preferred them to stick with which they also kind of attempted is that it like comes away like sand and i thought that that was a really interesting way of doing that with like her her uh, her glamour disintegrates and all, like the sand is running off of her, but then it's also kind of like fleshy. It was sort of a mess. Like sands in the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. <laughs> uh, nobody was uh, trying to protect themselves from a crystal spider in this one. And yet there was still too much sand. <laughs> was, yeah. Uh, the, and that's when we get our, our wrestling moment because the season is all about uh, <laughs> hidden wrestling moments hidden in wrestling. movies. If you've been paying attention, folks, this is uh, our third. Yes. <laughs> this is our third uh, wrestler appearance by Kurt Angle in a nothing role. Like I had to go back and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to go back and look at it again now because I was like who the fuck was Kurt Angle in this movie? Like the the IMDb trivia in this makes it sound like he's like a minor star of the film and I was like I don't remember seeing fucking Kurt Angle anywhere in this movie. And it's because he's in there for like 2 or 3 minutes and that's but yeah, doesn't say anything. Just nope. just nope. a guy. This was not his John Cena moment. This is not him breaking into the the silver screen. <laughs> well, there's one more Fast and Furious movie to make. That's true. So that, that's he yep. could find his way in. He there. might. Yeah, Vin Diesel might be like, Kurt. Remember that which movie we did? <laughs> Either he's gonna throw witches in the final Fast movie. I don't know. I don't know where we're going. They're gonna need to do something to top everything else. I mean, did you notice that once again Vin Diesel has a sweet ass ride? Yeah, he, his car is his car is very nice. <laughs> Actually, like uh, Dolan the thirty seventh comment where he's like, "I should be grateful it's not red." I should <laughs> yeah, about like trying to keep a low profile. Yeah, um, this was another interesting thing that that the movie does that I. I I actually appreciate that they don't totally explore it. I feel like I wanted just a little bit more 
but I do like the mystery of this, is that he is, like, fabulously fucking wealthy. Like, unlimited resources. And if you think about it, you're like, yeah, after 800 years, you probably acquire uh, a little bit of uh, a little damage uh, here and there. He also um, works for the church. Which is insidious. In <laughs> is that they're just, you know... Just going to leave that commentary there. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. I did not miss that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I appreciated that he had, like this incredible uh this incredible like palatial estate high in the sky in new york city this you know i think is like some sort of fucking aston martin i think is what he drives um i like that he he had realistic resources to carry out a secret war against <laughs> against witches he's not some scrappy guy living in a rat hole apartment um this seemed like a realistic way to set him up wealthy beyond measure charming flight attendants I mean, if if he's, which he was flying coach, which doesn't line up with his, you know, billionaire man about town kind of look. <laughs> well, I think he keeps, uh, socially speaking, I think he keeps a low profile. Okay, that's fair. Because otherwise people would be like, how come this man's still alive after 200 years? <laughs> we have early Renaissance paintings of this guy that looks very similar. He seems so similar. Look, look, is that him at the Inquisition? I think it's him. Three rows back. Look. You can't tell me he didn't take part in the Inquisition. I know he oh, has yeah. that comment, Salem was wrong and those women were innocent. I'm like, you would have been fucking involved in the Inquisition. Oh, sure. But he was probably on the other side of, um, God, what was that famous witch hunter's name? He was probably on the other side of it. He probably punched him out at one point. <laughs> He's like, you just hate women and children. Boom. Thump. Yeah. I will not help you. <laughs> my Vin Diesel is very similar to my Sylvester Stallone. It's just my machismo voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Vin Diesel does. He's he's almost like a uh, Michael Wincott. Like, they just have super unnaturally deep voices. And, like, that's how you know them on screen. Yeah. Elijah Wood's character. Mm. Uh, again, this this kid does not age. Like, you even look at him now. I was like, this was perfect Hobbit casting because he is still looking super youthful. Remains completely boyish. I don't He's got wide, expressive, innocent eyes. He has Disney prince eyes. Yeah, which is like, really good for uh, when he decides to play evil characters. Yeah. Which is, Gosh. it's it's actually not, I was going to say it's it's rare, but he, he does kind of trend into, like, I think of his uh, character in um, Sin City. Yeah. Who is really dark and twisted? Um, same thing. Yeah, the um, Dolan the Thirty Seventh. Spoiler: If you haven't seen this movie, and we're planning to, yeah, uh, you've had like seven years, years. Seven years. Come on now. It's twenty twenty three. You've had eight. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I went to go rent this on Vudu, and they were like, for fifty cents more, you can just own it. I was like, oh okay. And you're like, well, I might as well then. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fine. Love that. <laughs> it was four fifty. Four fifty to purchase. Four fifty to purchase. Last Witch Hunter. I, I, I mean, this would have been a movie that, like, in back in when I first first got Amazon Prime, and I was like, "This is amazing," and I didn't quite have a grasp of like the terrible resources that go into such frivolousness. Uh, if I saw a movie that I was partially interested in, and the DVD was five dollars or less, it was an auto purchase. I was just yeah. like. Eh. Fine, buy it. 
Um, this, this this would have been in that category. If I'd seen it for four fifty, I'd have been like, yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect five dollar movie. Agree. Uh, but Elijah Wood is revealed to be not so pious and holy. Yeah. Um, and that actually bugged me because I was like, I like the twist, but it's something you never see coming, and he's just kind of thrown away. This is another like we were talking about in Titan AE. This is an unearned um, bad guy turn. You know, like well, it, because he's not doing anything throughout the movie that's hindering. Because it, it'd be right. nice if you could look back and be like, oh, like, oh, he gave the keys to the apartment to Belial, and he's been doing this and that. And no, he was. Uh, I guess his goal was to play a longer con and like maybe maybe try to destroy the Axe and Cross from within. Uh, and then the Witch Queen rising, he just said, "F those plans." I'm right. with you, my queen. I have I have a, an opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree, though. It's um, <clears throat> because, again, the the existential threat of this movie isn't introduced until late second act, early third. Um, then there is just no opportunity to set up that character turn on Elijah Wood's part um, as uh, Dolan the 37 all of a sudden being a bad guy feels very deus ex. Yeah. And, and and again, this this comes down to this movie was trying to do a lot and it underdeveloped so much of it. And it, it serves ultimately it serves no purpose. None. Because he's like just to make Calder hesitate briefly. Right. Like he threatens Chloe and then he's like, make me magic. And the witch queen is like, no, you're a muggle. Fuck off. And feeds him to a bunch of flies and. Yeah. Uh, anyone who knows anything about these kind of stories, you should know uh, Elijah Wood was not going to get rewarded. No. Like, there's no way. You don't, uh, you, you, you don't, no. You and and don't. I, I, uh, I'm waiting for somebody to finally subvert that expectation. Where the weaselly twist bad guy who, like, all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and, and betrays the main character actually is rewarded with power and in some way becomes a truly like you know a, a heavy threat because it's always they're always just sort of cast off they're like yeah you served your purpose now uh i'm gonna again feed you to the flies yeah and there's stories like that too where there is a a tenuous alliance that is forged between mm-hmm. like your hero and this scum of the earth yeah and um that scum of the earth will slowly rise to become a big threat right over time with your help it just makes it sting a little more. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this, this really bothered me because he had no direct impact on the story. He was a very throwaway character. Um, and, and it, again, where, where this movie gives me like Constantine vibes, I, like I could have Constantine, I realized is based off of, you know, graphic novel and so they they wanted to make sure that they were including certain characters but I could have done without Shia LaBeouf in that movie and I don't think that he has any kind of function in that film to to really drive the story or the narrative along and that's unfortunate because the character that he plays in Constantine is a bigger deal in Constantine's story exactly just not in that portrayal. and that's and that 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 was very much a failure on the part of that movie to develop that character in in that way Whereas this, you know, The Last Witch Hunter, again, 
fails to really develop Dolan the 37th uh, in, in any meaningful way. Um, and so he just feels there because there's not even lore to look back on and be like, oh, you know, they they just uh, they they misexecuted or undercooked this particular storyline that if you go back and see X, Y, Z, you understand like what the the weight of this character is. It was just so it was a the character is just a paper thin. It, it is. And I was like, how are you going to do for Frodo like that? Right. Come on, man. It's Frodo Baggins. He threw the, the one ring into the fires of Mount Doom. Well, no, he didn't. He yeah, almost did. That's yeah. And Smeagol I mean, had to swoop in and save the day. Bite his finger off. <laughs> yep. He bit his finger off, and then a few years later, Elijah Wood's like, "Look at my hand. It's all messed up. <laughs> Connective <laughs> tissues." Between Lord of the Rings and the Last Witch Hunter. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't the house fire that burned Elijah Wood's hands in the Last Witch Hunter. Those are leftover scars from the fires of Mount Doom. Turns the, out it was Frodo Baggins the entire time. Uh, a lot of wis- witch hunter inspiration actually comes from D and D. Okay, yeah. Vin Diesel actually is a big D and D player. Right. I, I was very surprised to learn this. So his his character is actually uh, borrowing a lot of elements from his D and D character mm-hmm. creation. I was like, well, that's cheating a little bit. But, all right. <laughs> well, and. Uh, it's it goes into the the category. I actually would have I, I think what I would have liked to have seen them draw more on because I think it actually would have fit the, this narrative better was uh, the um, uh, the role playing game from like the early aughts called Hunter, um, which the whole purpose of Hunter is it was a modern fantasy or a, uh, an urban fantasy where the character classes were all designed to go after these demonic threats, but the demonic threats could not be seen by humanity, but if you were called to become a hunter, you could see them. And so your job was to go out night after night and and to, to slay monsters. And, you know, it was basically a convenient excuse to have monsters and demons in an urban setting uh, that nobody else could see, but your player characters were, were able to interact with. Um, and this movie reminded me very much of the hunter mythos. I was like, this actually kind of aligns with um, uh, those uh, that gameplay style. So it's it's interesting that he drew on Dungeons and Dragons as the the inspiration. You see it at the beginning of the movie. Um, I think it's less clear as the film goes on. Yeah, it, it yeah it kind of wears away a, a little bit uh, as the characterizations of everyone kind of just becomes super thin and flawed. Right. Chloe. Yeah. Compelling character in her own right. Mm-hmm. But like, what purpose does she ultimately serve? Because I could, <laughs> like, is she supposed to be a begrudging love interest for him? Uh, I, remember at the beginning, uh, Michael Caine's like, I'm not always going to be around. Right. You need, you, you need to like have more friends and stuff and open up to more people. Uh, maybe someone a little more comely. <laughs> and Rose Leslie is very comely. Yeah, um, I, I I kept waiting for you know nothing, Jon Snow. Like I was wa- I was waiting for so it. Give to- me that moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, she's not bad in this movie, uh, and uh, has a uh, semi interesting character. Um, one of the more realized characters outside of uh, you know Vin Diesel's. Um, so uh, Chloe actually has some sort of like personality and and. Um, Sort of <laughs> in the same way that that I had, we had this issue with um, Sarah Michelle Gellar in 
I wanted simply to say, irresistible. Thank you. I wanted to say Practical Magic. They're the same movie. Um, simply irresistible. Uh, her bar burning down at the very, be- you know, at the beginning. It's played like it's a huge moment, but we just don't know enough about her character for that to resonate in any particular way. And I think no. that that, that I, I I feel bad because I was I wanted more out of her character in general. It's Misty losing her bike. <laughs> that's I think ultimately that's what this relationship should be. Is Vin Diesel is trained to be a Pokemon master. Yep. And burns down her bar. And so now she's going to stick with him until she until gets her she bike gets, back. Until she gets her bike back. Solid response. Solid response. <laughs> well, because I'm I, like, there's weird flirty moments between them. Yeah. At some times, even though the stakes are like up to here, but we still have time for a little, <laughs> a little banter, a little, uh, ooh, eek, and like, pushes into him and he like holds her by the hips uh, for just a second too long. Um, so uh, on the lines of this being a, a a romance, do we think that it doesn't necessarily feel fully fleshed out because again, the, the writing is maybe substandard or do we think Vin Diesel is just not great at showing character empathy? <laughs> no, I think there's just not enough time in it for the okay, movie. I think there's just too much going on for them to that's really true. try to write that in there. It's a good point. And that would be explored at a later time because obviously she's going to stick around until she gets her $50,000 bike back. $50,000. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 5000 Oh, so we're negotiating. Tee-hee-hee. <laughs> you know, but she's a feisty redhead. She gets to drive. Right. Oh, yeah. She gets to drive the car and comes like like drifting through yeah. the corner. Is a, That's... I hated that because uh, I think <laughs> I think he should have tossed the keys to her and then Michael Caine snatched him out of the air and he's like, actually, it's my turn to draw. I told you I wasn't always a priest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Calder, you might not realize this, but for the rest of us mortals, life moves pretty fast sometimes. <laughs> if you don't stop and take a look. You're going to miss it. <laughs> and there's nothing more important than family. Remember that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it turns out Vin you- Diesel's only been ever playing one. It's it's not that he's not a good actor. It's just he's only really ever been playing one character. And that one character just keeps showing up in all these different uh, universes. Yes, he does. Slightly different backstory, but basically <laughs> the same, same. same guy. Same guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah um oh damn it i just forgot where i was gonna go with that i had more thoughts on on chloe as a character um i i think one of the reasons that i, I and, and you, you touched on this just now saying that there there just wasn't enough time to do everything one of the, the reasons that i had a hard time like formulating notes for this film because the, the overarching like feeling that i am left with is that there's just not enough especially considering that this movie is like two hours um, it, it, it's just not enough to develop everything that they try and cram into it. There is so much lore that they try to create and so many characters that they try to develop and, and, uh, and make the audience care about that it is you end up feeling very scattered and the movie feels terribly shallow because of it. Um, despite the fact that there are some like fascinating ideas that are, are cooked into this movie, it it just it, it it 
it tries to accomplish so much that that's ultimately its undoing in in my opinion the other thing this movie was missing that is good with a a good uh noir yeah story is when your hero is discovered to kind of been ahead of the game the whole time and has just oh. been waiting for you to misstep yeah and some of that is luck but like a lot of that is just a almost like a, an Ocean's Eleven type of reveal. Right. Where you're like, we, we knew this was going to happen the whole time, and this yes. is how we do it. The, yep, this is this is the backup plan that was actually the real plan, but yeah. you actually, thought it was. Actually, yeah. it would have been great if uh, you know, you're know you in this big battle, which Queen's about to win, but then you just have the entire Rat Pack just come strolling in. <laughs> all, like, <laughs> the Coven, Michael Caine, like all these other guys... Which means like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> well, it's funny you say the Rat Pack, considering you know Black Plague and rats. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, right. Yeah, I mean, like literally, an army of rats could have marched in and, and taken out the Witch Queen. And <laughs> this is our buddy, the Pied Piper. We knew you were gonna come up, Witch, Your Majesty, if you just walk right this way. <laughs> yeah, um, he, Vin Diesel does, a, and this is this is actually almost it feels like a character inconsistency because. Early on, we do see him like working his network and, you know, trying to, you know, tug on all his spies and, and figure out, you know, the 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 here fors and why nows. Um, <clears throat> and so it's suggested that he's actually quite astute. And you would think after 800 years, you know, his his uh, ability to kind of like predict <laughs> uh, his enemy's behavior would have would have grown. But we we don't really see a payoff for that at the end of the movie where he's like, I knew you would do this the whole time or I, you know, I, I saw this coming. Um, it, it, it he becomes very reactionary in the second half of the movie rather than proactive where he was in the uh, the early parts. Yeah. And it's very yeah, it's very unfortunate because like that opening scene on the plane is him being very proactive and he's right. in complete control. Yes. That entire scene. Yep. Uh very unnecessary I am bigger than you and can beat you up moment where he spills pours the drink in the guy's lap and he just stands there. He's like, Oh I'm so sorry. That's totally my fault. Stares intimidatingly. Until the guy gets up and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a you might want to towel off. <laughs> and then lean in for it right <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. like that whole that whole moment with the the weather runes right yeah you know, he's in complete control as chaos is breaking out mm-hmm. all around him and you that doesn't come back again right that, that element be- of control yeah i think it's because they add that extra existential threat of the witch queen herself coming back. Right. That's something that could have played out maybe over two or three films. Sure. Is th- this this film could have centered around just Calder reacting to figuring out this this big secret, which is that he's been kept alive because they've kept the heart alive. Right. It's interesting because he's so pissed off about this. And then at the end of the film, what do they do? They decide to keep the effing heart. They decide they, they're going to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was also, um, you know, chicken or the egg with the Suicide Squad on this one. Um, same <laughs> shit. Like, you know, as long as the heart is alive, the the witch, the sorceress is It's Oh, my God. A- anyway. It's, it's I guess, you know, we talked about before, sequel baiting a it, little it, bit. She's like, I saw much worse things. And, and that's did the you? Thi- you did? <laughs> when? When? 
We we saw you in there. We didn't see shit. We didn't. I didn't see shit. No. I saw the I Am Legend <clears throat> set. That's what I saw. Exactly. <laughs> no. It, it it is so clear that this movie wanted a franchise, right? Like it it's it it, it all the way through suggests franchise. Um, which I, I don't know, maybe in 2015, Vin was like, well, we're probably not going to do many more of these fast movies. So I need I need, a, you know, something else to, to dig into. Um, but but the problem is, is that for it suggesting franchise franchise movies like the scale of the first one should actually be relatively small. It should hint at a larger conspiracy, but it should be a very self-contained. This is the one problem that we need to fix with this movie. Um and it tries to pack in two or three movies worth of conflict into one film. Yeah. I hate I hate giant end of the universe uh, conflicts in your very first film. Right. It I I I immediately I'm thinking of like movies that do it well. Star Wars is an example. But Star Wars it wasn't the, you know, they didn't destroy the entire empire by destroying destroying the Death Star. They destroyed one of its its like ma- massive new weapons which could have become an existential threat, but they don't solve the entire problem of the empire in the the Star Wars movie. Yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to set up a franchise, if you want multiple movies out of something, you don't you don't have a universe a universal threat in the very first one. It's it, the stakes are just too high the audience doesn't fucking care. Yeah. And I mean, look at the the Dresden Files novel series. Each yeah. story gets progressively higher stakes. Sure. Um, but that that very first book is a very tiny mystery. It's one he, you're hinting at. This guy's got bigger problems with the wizarding like community, right? But the core of the story is someone's been murdering people with magic. I got to find out who. And in the process, he has to visit the Chicago CD underbelly. And and it, that is that is a storyteller who knew storytelling, right? And and, and um, I, one of the things that surprised me about this movie is that it, it apparently was like one of 2010's most liked, uh, uh, like, blacklist scripts. Like, it, it was... Oh, yeah. It, apparently, the script was terribly popular, and I, I don't think it's that strong of a script. I don't think the dialogue is especially compelling. And uh, the story, again, it tries to do so much... So with with so little space, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I I was very surprised to learn that. It's one of those scripts that always makes me think. Oh, I would like to see like the early draft and then compare it to your screen doctored to shit. That's shooting I, I, script. That's a that's an excellent excellent point. Yeah, because I, I I'm still waiting for the real Alien Three movie to come out. Um, which, uh, you know, it's, it's been 30 something years. We're probably not going to get that. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's a, it's a good question. You know, what, what did the initial draft of this look like and does it bear passing resemblance to what we have now? Some resemblance or, uh, was it really put through the proverbial shredder? You were saying earlier, this movie had, uh, some moments that brought some specific Dresden files thoughts to your mind. Uh, do you remember what that was? Well, so I was going to uh, address this in um, prequel, sequel, or reboot, actually. Okay. Um, which we can jump into that because I'd also then like to hear your Dresden uh, Files thoughts. Okay. So keeping in mind, uh, this movie had a budget of $90 million. Yeah. 
its domestic box office was 27.4. Not great. Worldwide added another 113. Uh, wow. So it had a it, it did well overseas. Sure I bet did. Vin Diesel probably does okay around the world. <laughs> I think people are like Vin Diesel. All right, we're not getting you know any you know Academy Award type of stuff here, but it's fine. Give me the popcorn. Right. Exactly. Uh, so you could consider this a flop, though. Yeah, very much. And I think there was plans for a franchise. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, it's time. For a prequel, sequel, or reboot. And for this episode, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say none. I want the book. This is one that I actually want the I, I want books for. Because I think there is, again, a lot of very interesting ideas at play. I think this world hints at a, a potential lore that could be terribly fascinating and very, very interesting to dig into over the, the course of a couple of novels. I think that this, even just this story, rather than it trying to play out over, you know, <clears throat> 120 pages worth of script, if you had a 300 page manuscript, might have actually gotten there. We, we would have gotten to spend more time with Dolan the 37 than understood like some of his seedy or under, underlying motivations. We would have been able to see the relationship between. Uh, Calder and Chloe develop a little bit more and understand is this a blossoming romance or is it more of like you know a mentor and mentee kind of relationship we there is there's so much to this that I wanted to go way deeper on um, that as I was watching this movie I was like I don't feel like this works well as a movie this to me seems like it was a book first that got ham-fistedly turned into a movie and when I like went searching, I was like, is there an actual like inspiration text? And there was not. I was like, that's what I want to see. I don't know that I want to see more <clears throat> more movies done uh, necessarily. Uh, I would like to see this turned into a book series a la The Dresden Files. And I want more lore. I want more depth out of this world. Would you like to hand this film to Alan Dean Foster and be like, give me a novelization? <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, he's 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 the guy that writes the that writes the novelizations. No, I don't want a novelization of this movie. I I want a proper storyteller. I want somebody to come in and to take what this movie was trying to accomplish and reverse engineer uh, a book series out of it. That's that's really what I want. Uh, what I want to see done because. Um, there is so much happening in this world, and this this book just doesn't, or this movie doesn't have time to develop it. Even the prologue, which is essentially just supposed to be an origin story for Calder, um, which I, I'd have been fine with that, except that it's also kind of setting up the full existential thread of the movie. I, I would have liked to have seen that take take pages. To develop, I, I I just I wanted I wanted more time in that character's head to understand who he was before he became immortal and sad. Um, so you know those are that that was my big takeaway watching this movie. It was the first time that I was like I don't I don't know how you reboot this um, without stripping away eight plot elements. Um, a prequel might be interesting, but again, a prequel relies on there being a bigger story to be told before the story that we're being told. And this seems to take itself seri- so seriously as like the biggest threat he's ever faced. So I'm like, ah, prequel, I don't know. 
Um, a sequel could be interesting, but I'm so afraid that they would just try and develop 90 more storylines. No, I want I want the book. I, I want a real book from this uh, this theory. Uh, we'll, we'll call it this this kind of conceit. Um, yeah, that's that was my takeaway. Was uh, in, in for this episode. I'm not calling for a prequel, sequel, or a reboot. I'm calling for the real book. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think a prequel could be interesting. Okay. You do The Last Witch Hunter, Rise of Calder. Okay. Uh, where he's just trying to, like, figure out his crap okay. in medieval <laughs> Europe. All right. And, like, rising through yeah. the ages and yeah. times changing. And because what I think very is very interesting about this film is that he's not still killing witches. Right. In the modern age, because I would have absolutely expected him to run around killing witches. And he's considered the the boogeyman. Right. By the the supernatural community, even though he just, yeah, he hunts them down. But like there's apparently the Axon Cross have been perpetuating the myth that they they kill witches and they, they don't. They, I guess, put them away for life. So semantics. But it's their... The reality versus the, the, the like folklore around right. him is very interesting. Um, I think we are going to get a sequel, actually. We are? Uh, okay. Yes, because this is Vin Diesel, yeah. and he will not let his properties die. Okay? He's like, <laughs> he, he came back and did Triple X. He did, yes. Years later. It was he not did. that great. Uh, he is finishing up the Fast franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's coming back to Riddick one more time. Going to do another, 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 another Riddick. Another Riddick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's if you look at the storyline, you're like, well, yeah, that story's not finished. The, the third film is all about he's stuck on a planet, but there's, there's shit he has to do that's set up early in the movie. It's like there's stuff he needs to do. Yeah. The whole reason he ends up on this planet is because he was trying to go somewhere and find his, like, find his origins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it just turns out to him masterminding this plan to get off this desolate rock. I actually went back and watched that that third Riddick movie, okay. and I enjoy Riddick the best. Sorry to talk about a different movie entirely. Sorry, but I enjoy him the best when he's playing background boogeyman. Oh, interesting. In, like in, in Pitch Black. In, in Pitch Black. Yep. And in Riddick, you just have these long intervals with the other characters, mm-hmm. and Riddick's in the background somewhere doing Riddick stuff. And, and we actually we, we touched on this when we talked about uh, Conan the Barbarian in season one, is that there, some of the most effective Conan the Barbarian stories are where Conan is not the, the central character, where it's actually other things going on in the world, and Conan is in the background, kind of affecting some of those uh, those events, but he's not the primary focus. Um, sometimes, you, like with an anti-hero like that, that that's a good function. Is that the focus really is not on them? Is it's almost like the the Jack Sparrow effect, right? Like Jack Sparrow was better when he was a side character than when the movies were completely about him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. An interesting so, argument to bring up. Yeah, discuss cinephiles. <laughs> but Vin Diesel has mentioned interest in returning to the last witch hunter he wants to do more last witch hunter okay and i was like really yeah just like do something else man but he talks about how again he talks about the rise of streaming and how streaming has really changed 
kind of the expectation for films because he's like, sure. yeah, if you look at the numbers of what it made in the box office and stuff, he's like, there's no way. But the, uh, I guess the the streaming audience for this film has proven that they Kept liked it, it enough. Okay. So he's like, we're gonna get to work and we're gonna we're gonna make some more Last Witch Hunter, uh, probably because he will be burying Fast and Furious after one. There's there's one more film to be made. Right. And then that will close it out. So he needs he needs another franchise. Brie Larson's going to need another franchise because I know that she's uh, she's out at the the Marvels and you know she's getting in to Fast and the Furious as it's coming to an end. So I don't know. Maybe he can pull Brie into uh, the Last Witch Hunter. I kind of feel bad for her because like, <laughs> I mean, I like her, but at the same time, like Captain Marvel, I was like, it's yep. it's so wooden. It's that movie is so mid, and I have tried again and again to get something out of it, and I'm just like I I I don't. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the Marvels film is a bit is a bit better. Yeah, because uh, it's a it's a fun cast. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. before you watch it, you're gonna need to watch Miss Marvel on Disney Plus, because otherwise you're gonna be like, who the fuck's that kid? I know. It's I just I can't I can't keep up anymore. I'm. This this I'm gonna put squarely on. Uh, Yoda would look at me and go, "Too old. He is too old to begin the franchise." <laughs> like, I'm just I'm like not uh, so much shit to keep up with anymore. Oh man. Um. So we might get a Last Witch Hunter sequel. Okay. Interesting. And if we do, I yeah. hope we put a different random ass wrestler in each film. Oh, who should it be? Well, it depends if if there's a compelling enough story with like a good enough bad guy. Yeah. Uh, put Batista in it. Oh. I actually really enjoy Batista as a performer, which is not something you, you you'd expect. Batista actually has the ability to play subtlety. Um, I I think of his. He's only on screen for like five minutes in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And uh, I, I thought his performance in those 10 minutes, I was like, this is a man who actually has range. Like he he's not, um, you know, obviously, you know, we know him from Guardians and, and he plays kind of what you would expect a, an ex-wrestler to play. Um, but Batista actually has the ability to, to turn it down a bit. And uh, his character, short-lived though he is in Blade Runner 2049, was a really fascinating example of that. No, he's... he's- had a very interesting uh, recent film career blossoming. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of cool to see what he's been doing. So, if there's a significant enough role, bring Batista into it. Okay. Uh, if they are blinking you'll miss him, uh god, you could do freaking anybody. Braun Strowman would be a fun one to have in there. I don't know if you're familiar with Braun Strowman. Oh, oh yeah. Let Vin Diesel catch these hands. Right. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I would love to have somebody on screen who is actually so much bigger than Vin Diesel that he would like make Vin Diesel look small, you know, because Braun is just he's gigantic. <laughs> yeah. You know, or look at people from back in the day. Yeah. You know, that, that are you know, they're, I, they're way past their prime, but they're still somewhat connected. To to use a wrestling term, I think John Cena needs to turn heel. I, I think John Cena needs to do a a, a villain. Um, I think he's uh, you know he's been playing kind of charming good guys, or at least you know, uh, I, both him and The Rock. I think 
both of their careers could be helped by doing villain roles. The Rock never wants to do anything but where he's the hero and he's the ultimate badass. Black Adam was not the anti-hero he thinks it was. He was still... So um, I I want to see... If we were going to do Vin Diesel paired up with an ex-wrestler as the villain, I want to see Cena or The Rock put their hero fetish aside and actually play a compelling villain. Well, because of the previous... Uh, fast film, John Cena was your bad guy oh, in okay. that movie. Well, see, I don't watch uh, the fast movies. So he, I mean. But he he turns babyface by the end. Oh, uh, fucking of course he does. Because nothing's more important than family. <sighs> God, he's... I, mm. But mm. He, he starts off as your bad guy. Okay. Uh, and then his Peacemaker character, uh, we can discuss. Um, yeah, Peacemaker, I, I know he's kind of villain-esque in that he's like has no regard for human life he he's he's a he's a strangely true neutral character in that regard he loves peace he would murder the whole world for peace exactly like that's what i'm saying like there there is a there is a true neutral or a chaotic neutral energy to that character that i don't see him as as evil he's just completely misguided <laughs> so this is a, a a shorter episode for us um, because I just I didn't have that much to say about this movie. It's perfectly meh. I and and that's I. It, it's interesting because I I agree. I I was really looking for things to take away from this movie, and I I do think it's just sort of meh. I think it opens strong. Um, it has a uh, a decent setup. It it creates a, a semi compelling world, um, and there are some really interesting character ideas in it. I think that if, if I had to like sum this movie up in one way or another, it's that it is a lot of ideas, but none of them are really ever grown. It's This is a movie of ideas, and they had some great ideas. It, the, the problem is, is that it's it, it presents an underworld kind of like John Wick, but this movie is not John Wick. It, prevents, it presents a wizarding world that's sort of like Harry Potter, but this movie is not Harry Potter. Um, it kind of has this like urban fantasy in a way of like the Dresden Files, but it's not really the Dresden Files. Um, it it's uh, has like the immortal element of the Highlander, but it's not the Highlander. It tries to pull all of these disparate threads together, and because it doesn't do a good enough job of creating its own compelling internal universe and developing that lore, it comes across as just very bland. But if you like all those things, watch The Last Witch Hunter. <laughs> exactly. You'll, you'll like it. You'll like it a, a little bit. Yeah. I don't think you'll watch it and go, can I please have these two hours of my life back? I don't, I don't, think, it's, I don't think it's that no. bad. No, it's, it's, it's definitely not. It's, it's totally watchable. Perfectly watchable. A rigging endorsement from the Cinema Podcast. It's, this this would be one where like our our commentary on the DVD cover would just say it's a movie, the Cinema Podcast. Oh my god, I want it. Uh, right. Next week, yeah. What are we? Next, uh... next week is our Nicolas Cage episode. Yes, we are going to do "It Could Happen to You" by yes, uh, Nick Cage by by Nick Cage. He uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I'm going to start presenting these. Is they are they're by Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yes, good little uh, again reaching a little bit, but good connective tissue here to continue. Uh, Nick Cage loves supernatural random stuff. Right, uh, is a fan of the Dresden Files and oh. produced 
an attempt at a TV series back in the aughts. Okay. It was not good. Mm. So was that was very sad. He He wasn't in it. Oh, okay. No, but he was just he was a producer for it. Got it. Okay. Um so, we'll see what Nick has to say for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Via a movie in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, this is a uh, this is an interesting poll. Um I um I, I definitely went into this one with high hopes and I, I think if I was at all disappointed it was that the movie did not end up um, it, 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 it didn't exceed any of my expectations, nor did it land in a space where I was like, this is the kind of cult classic that I feel like I'm going to put on again and again, right? Like Deathstalker, uh, or Deathstalker 2 especially, terrible fucking movie. Oh my God, unforgivably bad. But I love, there, there's a bizarre charm to it that I love everything about it. Um, I did not find myself landing in that camp with this movie. And so it, it, I think my own expectations slayed me on this one. Give us, give us another, uh, give us another try, guys. But only if you get Michael Caine and Rose Leslie to come back in the yeah. sequel. You can make a sequel, but if you uh, have a completely different cast except Vin Diesel, I'm gonna be a little annoyed. Yeah, and it'll I, probably go that way. Yeah, I, I well, I'm I'm curious if Michael Caine is is he even still acting? He's old. Rose that's, Leslie that's is rude. Is in the prime. Know. He's got to get tired at some point. Like, at some point, don't you think he's just like, oh, I'm kind of done with this, right? Well, he'll be there. He'll be, you know, Charlie then on the squawk box. <laughs> All right, my witch hunting angels. Uh, I, I, what have I, you been doing? If he just, like, you know, sits in a chair and reads from a book the entire time, I'd be okay with that. I mean, he is the chronicler, after all. <laughs> so <laughs> Just calls him on the phone. Why aren't you using FaceTime on that iPad I gave you? I, Are we I still going that. on about the iPad? It's been 10 years. The iPad was so weird to me. I know this is such like a, a dumb, tangent. It was a dumb the, joke. Yeah, tangent right at the end here. But I was like, this feels like Apple partially funded this movie. And so they, they're they like, we're going to need at least one or two iPad references. Uh, if, if, if you could, please. And do you think they got pissed because they just kind of... It was a Shoot throwaway joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't smash flies with an iPad. Let's see you do that with an iPad. Uh, and I actually, because I was like, part of me was like, wait, was the iPad out at this time? And I was like, yeah, 2015, yeah, yeah. early iterations. It was a, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely was looking for when he had his iPhone up to his head. I was like, what kind of a connector does it use? Because that will really tell the story. <laughs> And it's the lightning connector. I was like, all right, it's a fairly modern iPhone, I guess. Was it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess they had already switched to lightning. To lightning back then. then. Uh-huh, yeah. It's kind of fun to trace technology through these movies. Yeah, if you're seeing... <laughs> Where thir- were we at? Exactly. If you're seeing 30-pin connector technology, you are watching a vintage movie. <laughs> well, and we're about to... We're about to go super classic. Yeah, which I, I dig that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for a, a throwback to the early 90s. Uh this movie, because I, I didn't realize how young um, Rose Leslie is, uh, It Could Happen to You is, came out the year that she turned one. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I assume that Rose Leslie is um, a more mature actor, but she's, I mean, she was born in 93. God, she's lovely. I need to see her in more things. 
Yeah, she's. I mean, plays her role well. I, I I think I have not seen her um, in enough range to really be like, yeah, this is this is somebody that I think is a terribly compelling actress. But I like her and everything that I've seen her in so far. Yeah, and not just because she's very pretty. <laughs> she's got some delightfully red hair. Indeed, sir. Indeed. So that is the last witch hunter. That's the last witch hunter. Yeah, I, give it a try. I'd actually be. This is one that you know we we always ask for. Uh, for feedback, I'd be terribly curious to um, to get audience feedback on this one and, and hear what what everybody else is. Anybody who's seen this movie, which I guess domestically, if it only did twenty seven million, you're probably in a rare camp if you've seen this film. Actually, so well, it, it, again, it's had a pretty strong streaming life. Okay, so, so it's possible that you've seen it in in some sort of streaming capacity, and, and maybe that's that's the, the ticket. Yeah, that might be where most people have seen it. That's fair. Because I think it was a free movie on Peacock Forever and on Netflix. (laughs) Right. Everywhere. Uh, So, guys, let us know what you think. Yeah. We're online. I am at Rigdon's Rant. we, We will get the page up for purely the cinema podcast. We're working on it. We're working on it, but it's slow going there. This is what happens when you don't have a production team or sponsors. You don't or, sell out to. Yeah, we, big. we take we take zero ad dollars. Uh, we've never talked to a corporate sponsor um, at this point. That's not a brag. That's a uh, hey, somebody please give us some money. <laughs> <laughs> like we would like monies, <laughs> so, money please. Uh, if for no other reason, that it'd be nice to uh, <laughs> outsource some of the work, like building websites and all that. <laughs> yeah, I would not mind. Yeah. Um, also, we want to hear. Questions, comments, concerns. We want yeah. to hear ideas for future films that you think we should cover. Definitely. If you have some hate you want to throw about home contractors, uh. <laughs> please do. <laughs> the home contractors had something to say about that. <laughs> what? Also, uh, season three. Remember, season three is going to be our our themed season yes. where we discuss uh, movies that are part of like a certain intellectual property. And um, would they or would they not be better if they weren't that intellectual property? Yes. We have ideas on the list, but nothing is fully hammered out yet. So if you have an idea for a film or a property that we're not thinking of, please throw it our way. Maybe it will be featured. Josh and I do have a deep bench of films that we'd like to touch on, but we are very interested in in hearing from our audience as well. And uh, nothing is set in stone. You know, we're we're constantly adjusting our uh, our schedule and, and the movies that we want to touch on. So, um, you know, by all means, if if you've got thoughts, if you're like, hey, this movie is aggressively average, that's exactly what we're looking for. I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Hive. I, I'm I on Nextdoor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm i'm on twitter and uh i lurk in reddit and uh some other places um twitter is probably the best place to get a hold of me right now if i'm if it's one of the weeks that i'm playing around in twitter uh i'll i'll, I'll get a, a more vibrant social life going again here at some point yeah still working on my only fans then you can reach me there perfect uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening guys see you Thank next you. week see you next week